Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 41 of the Build My Online podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week, I've got Andrew Bleakley from andrewbleakley.com, where we're going to talk about how to pick an e-commerce shopping cart. And so Andrew has been in the business since around the mid-90s, designing e-commerce shopping carts on various different platforms. And so he has a wealth of experience that he'll share with us today. And before we get into it this week, I've been working on a basic SEO 101 training product for all of you guys. And so after the webinar I did with David uh, about SEO in March, I realized there was some some other content that I missed out on. And so I'll be re-recording some modules before I put this out to all of you guys. And so it'll basically teach you all the basics of on-site and off-site SEO and some of the basic terms that when you just start a store that you should be aware of and some of the trends uh, within the industry as we move forward. So it'll be out later sometime uh, in April, so stay tuned. And if there's anything you're confused about within SEO that you still need some guidance on, uh, shoot me an email, terry at buildmyonlinestore.com and I'll make sure to include it. And one more thing, I was recently interviewed on the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, episode 163, with John Dumas, where he interviewed me on how I decided to get down this path. And so go check it out when you get a chance. Uh, it's a great mindset, inspirational podcast. He publishes daily. Uh, he basically interviews people on how, uh, you know, what their mindset of success is, how their journey has been, and where they see everything going uh, in the future. So check it out, entrepreneuronfire.com. And with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. All right, and so let's just jump into this then. So, uh, you know, kind of real quick, uh, you know, what's your background and how did you get into shopping carts and all of that? I got into shopping carts in about 96 when I had finished studying as a computer scientist. It was all web and web and internet and whatnot. But back then it was pretty much just HTML, which as a computer programmer, HTML is incredibly boring. So I went looking for basically programming challenges. Around, you know, around the web and, and shopping carts were just coming out and just sort of developing then. So it was a way to be a real programmer but still, you know, capture some of the high money that was going around online. I see. So this is, so this is back in the early 1990s or? Yeah, mid-90s or something. Yeah, it's, I looked at the calendar earlier before you called me and it was like, God, has it been that long? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so those first shopping carts you made were probably really, really ugly, right? They were, but truly they didn't do anything too far different to what shopping carts do now. They, you know, carts have always just had those four core functions, which were just to you know, attract customers and convert them into people buying something, look after them at the back end, get them to come back again. Kind of, so what's changed and if that's been the same? Has it just been kind of it's, uh, the platforms are getting cheaper or kind of what's been happening for the past 10 years? Oh, a lot of things have happened in the last 10 years. I think the, the big move at the moment is to make it simpler and make it easier to get you know, new people up and running without the developer overhead. Because back in the day, it was incredibly expensive to get a shopping cart. It was probably the most expensive thing you could do online. Now you can do it for 
$24 a month or something, which is pretty much anybody's wheelhouse. Yeah. And it's funny because I heard like even back then databases were like, what, 50K? So a shopping cart must have been even crazier. Look, a lot of them were just text files. I common delimited text files. It wasn't MySQL. It wasn't Microsoft SQL Server. It was just a text file. That was it, which is probably why they had so many problems back in the day because if you were creating, you could guess where that text file was and then <laughs> download someone's entire product database. <laughs> that was the 90s. It was still, still a little bit open. There was a lot to learn. And, you know, it's half the reason there was a lot of trust issues with with buying online we really didn't know just how bad some people were yeah it's funny i actually live in asia and you see how like buying digital products now 10 years later is pretty common right you have like ebooks uh stuff like that but it's funny here in taiwan where i live you have like an amazon portal type thing and i was talking to them a couple weeks ago you know thinking about saying what if i launched like an ebook store they're like what like no one's gonna buy a digital ebook from you, and I'm like, oh, the I guess the cultural gap in terms of developments is really big too across different regions. And is that something kind of you've seen too, or? Oh yeah, yeah. There's definitely huge gaps, and I've traveled a lot, so I get to talk to a lot of people, and from country to country, the way they operate online and the way they they buy products is. You know, there's a big difference, which is good. It just means you've got to cover bases and, and do the traditional market research that brick and mortar store owners have always done that online store owners think is not necessary. Yeah, because I guess the four core functions are still the same no matter where you go in the world, right? They're the same whether you're online or offline. You know, it, there's just that's the functionality of, of any retailer. Attract a customer, convert them, service them, and repeat them. And so, just for like kind of like the Western markets, kind of when we started out with e-commerce, you had like your eBay, your Amazon, and then now you know you kind of have your Shopify, big commerces. Anyone can in, get into it, and you have like places like Etsy and Fab. So, where do you see the platforms going uh, in the next few years? I think people are going to start pulling away from those big marketplaces like Amazon and and eBay and moving more towards running their own store. They get more and more inquiries all the time about it. And it's always the same thing is they just feel like they're getting lost in those marketplaces now that there's just too many. It's too hard to compete at that price point. You just can't get found. You know, people want more control. There's always a space for it because there's always someone that, that wants to get online and sell something as quickly as humanly possible, in which case they go straight to eBay or, or Amazon with a credit card and $19 later, they're off and running. They can start making their first sale. Yeah, you really saw eBay doing well, I guess, in the early 2000s, right? And then kind of somewhere around mid-2005, like 2008, I, I stopped using it myself and I, I guess... It it kind of dropped off, or I don't know what happened. <laughs> well, yeah, people sort of started having problems. It got more and more difficult. They got tied up with PayPal, and people had issues at that end. And it got to the point where the the few dollars you'd spend setting up your own proper online store, you know, it was worth it. weren't saving enough money by being on eBay. You know, to deal with all the grief and all the problem buyers and sellers. And, you know, at that point where it starts becoming useful, uh, people look at other options and services like Shopify and BigCommerce came along and said, look, we're not that much more expensive and you get this much more control and that's where people are at. Yeah, and I guess I heard eBay started charging more and more as the years gone by too for stores too. It kind of drove a lot of people away. They do, and, you know, it's not all bad at eBay. I still know plenty of people that do remarkably well on it. But it's almost become a special skill set now, being an eBay power seller. 
it's really quite different to being a traditional online retailer. You've got to really be pretty aggressive. You've got to do a lot of research. You've got to get your pricing right. You've got to really streamline all your back-end processes so you can compete at those prices because it's usually pretty discounted. Yeah, because I guess a lot of people would either go to Amazon for something they know they want, that they buy a lot, and then... You know, you go to a specialty store, e-commerce store for something unique like a bamboo iPhone case. But then eBay is kind of like lost in the middle somewhere and I can't really pinpoint. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of the point you're talking about. And right? People go to eBay to see if they can get it cheaper. And then they usually look at it and go, oh, it's not worth saving a dollar. I'll go and get it from this bloke. He looks more reputable. At least it'll turn up. <laughs> you know? And yeah, that's, that's where it got to. And I'm sure eBay know about it. And I'm sure they're going to do a lot to... To improve that image because they're going to have to to survive but um, you know amazon's always just because they deliver and they keep delivering and you can get help and you can pick up the phone and you can ring them and people feel comfortable with amazon because they did the hard yards and, and they earn people's trust and so I, I had a question for you about uh, shopify and big commerce and how sustainable they are in the future and one of the points you brought about was that they need to open up a bit kind of like their database as SQL. Can you just kind of go into that, uh, what you mean by that answer? Because the, the cloud platforms, you don't, you can't just log in and get your database and download it and have a copy of every single piece of your data. You can do exports and, and whatnot, and you can export the bulk of it. And if you know how to work with those files, you can, you can get most of your data. You still can't get all of your data and you can't just get it easily and you can't get it in its raw form so that you've got something sitting on a thumb drive or a DVD in your office. If disaster strikes, you've got a copy. So if one day they go broke and they shut down, like you're, you're screwed, right, basically? Yeah, and they won't. That won't happen. That really, I can't imagine a single situation in which they'd shut down that quickly. You know, if there's a disaster or, you know, if you run afoul of them and they shut down your store and you need to move it, there's just something very reassuring about having your data in your hands and you can like i said you can do exports and whatnot else but functionality so that once a week or so you could just grab a copy of your data and put it on your dvd with your product images and your template would just give people extra sense of security and the feeling that they're not tied to this intangible service that if if they needed to and if they wanted to they could give that disk to a developer and move from Shopify to Big Commerce or move to Magento or, you know, go to PrestaShop and install it on their own server. Interesting. All right. So I had a little tangent question here about these two platforms. So I think last year they both passed about a billion in sales for all of their stores. Do you think it's actually really skewed in terms of the actual stores that are profitable, whereas kind of a lot of people that go there have the store and they realize it's a lot of work and they just kind of let the store sit there? Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of dud stores floating around i know there's a few because i've built a few and i've gone back and checked and seen that these people haven't done a single thing but for two years they sit there and they pay for the service and their stores up there and i've not seen single sales that's the thing about it being so cheap is people will just leave it there but no i don't think it's it's skewed i think there's some very big retailers using these platforms i think there's a lot of people making a lot of money making shopping carts with uh, big commerce and shopify and the like but those numbers in the end are just marketing numbers you know they put them out there so that people feel better about signing up no lie there's no deception in the number but the numbers really it means nothing exactly so what do you think makes people kind of get into the game and then quit is it do they not do their research enough to realize how much work is needed or what are your thoughts on that? I think people do not realize it's a job and it's work. 
it's so easy to get an online store up and running. I don't think people realise that you've got to work these things and you've got to do the marketing, you've got to attract customers and then you've got to fulfil it and, you know, get them to come back. There's still that thing floating around from the early 2000s where, you know, go online and make a million dollars and people still believe it. And I'm not saying you can't do it because if you work hard, you can absolutely do it and you will do it. But you can't just open up a store selling some of your excess merchandise and expect it to happen. You've... uh, You've got to approach it like a proper business and you've got to work damn hard. Yeah, one thing I noticed is that a lot of people don't realize what SEO is and they just have this concept, I'm going to start a store. And then they choose a random name and I get these emails saying, you know, my store is not number one on Google, you know, can you fix it or tell me how to fix it? And and I just go like, how do I even start here? (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of poor planning. Again, a side effect of it being so easy to get into is that people don't need to talk to a consultant really, although a lot of them should. A lot of consultants are happy to answer their email, so you send them an email and ask a few questions and you'll get an answer. And it's kind of like how Shopify and Bing Commerce, they just sign people up, but then they don't go to tell you what SEO is and then you're kind of left to figure it out on yourself and then you have to be like, oh my God, there's a whole industry to get people on number one on Google and I had no idea this was there. So Yeah, personally, I prefer that because there was a while there. You'd sign up and after you'd been there for about three or four weeks, they'd bombard you with emails about being number one on Google and pay for our SEO service. And it was just an upsell. It wasn't legitimate SEO. It wasn't effective SEO. It was just cookie cutter stuff. So I'm glad that practice has stopped. There needs to be an industry somewhere between sign up and give up to uh, to help people along the way. But yeah, that's an interesting point because that's kind of, I guess, where Andrew and I from e-commerce store are kind of trying to target but but you still see a lot of these people that they open the store and they just think you can instantly sell you know like hundreds hundreds of products the first week when actually nothing happens because they don't realize the work that's needed to be put in there so yeah they've got to realize they've got to tell people and then those people have got to tell people and there's new marketing tools out there and a lot of these carts have them so you can use things like referrals and discounts and coupon codes and flash sales email marketing and They've got the tools there so that you can start getting customers through the door, but there's very little explanation of how to use them effectively. And I suppose, you know, as you said, there's a whole industry related to getting people quality traffic and to the number one spot in Google. Yeah, and really there is no magic bullet to this. It's just a lot of hard work and that's pretty much it. (laughs) Absolutely no magic bullet. Yeah, all right. And so one thing, Tanja, I want to bring in here, where do you see WordPress fitting into this whole mix? I know some people are on WooCommerce and I haven't really spoke to anyone that has a good grasp on this yet. So I want to get your thoughts on kind of where does WordPress fit into the shopping cart model here? I think it's fine. If you've only got very very simple e-commerce needs and you've got a need to blog and post news, I think WordPress is a good solution. WooCommerce is great. Uh, WP e-commerce is better. If you've only got a simple store to set up, go for it. Absolutely. It is WordPress, so you've got to stay on top of the updates and you've got to generally look after it yourself. But it's there, it's low cost and free in most cases. It's very simple to use and you can get great support from the community because there's a lot of people out there that know. Yeah, I get the feeling that if you have just like 10 products that don't really change or something small like that, you can go with WordPress because then your site, you get the WordPress functionality, right, of all the blogs and the plugins and then you you don't have like you don't need to run like a separate blog off the e-commerce platform too which is what i see some stores doing yeah well a lot of people build a store for three products and then 
add on a block. You look at it and it's, you do wonder sometimes, especially when they're not using any of the extra functionality that they get from having dedicated e-commerce software. Again, it's one of those things that because it's so easy, people don't think to stop and ask a professional. It's one of the things that is so easy that people always get stuck at choosing a shopping cart. And so, so, you know, how rich would you be if someone asked you, you know, what's the best shopping cart right now? <laughs> well, I get asked that five times a day. And I love the question. Uh, people don't love the answers, but I love the question. Yeah, so what's the standard answer you give them then? Well, it all depends. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you can't just give them an answer. I literally get no information from someone except I want to start an online store. What should I use? Well, what do you want to sell, right? How many products do you have? Yeah, you know, what do you want to sell? How many of them do you want to sell? How much computer experience have you got? How much work do you want to have to do? Is this going to be a full-time venture for you or just a hobby? There's not that many questions you need to answer, but you need to provide some information. And other people are great. They'll send me great big novels where they've clearly thought about every aspect of it. And you just go through it and you say, well, you can't use this software because you want it to do A and it doesn't do A. And you can use this software, but, you know, and you go through their, their list of what they want, what they need, how much they can afford. And the carts usually have enough of a difference between them that it comes down to one or two in the end, in which case you flip a coin and tell them to call it. And so is that the framework you, so I guess, I guess, could you just go over the key questions you go with someone who can't decide on a card, kind of just so they can nail this down and not ask this again? <laughs> the simplest one is to just ask them to list what features they absolutely have to have, um, be it things like, you know, wish lists or customer login or uh, newsletters, email marketing. They might need something like file upload because they're running a print business and they need people to be able to send them imagery. Uh, yeah, so what type of product they want to sell because some products require a significant number of options which you can't get because, you know, say Shopify has a limit on the number of product variations you can have and they're selling motorbikes. So the number of options is going to be endless. So they need something that will let them really make a nice custom configurator. Ask them how many products they want to sell because all of the carts have this sort of limit and, you know, it costs this much for 100 and this much for 500. If you know that, you can talk to them about the budget and what they should expect to pay. And I always ask them where they are with computers and how comfortable they are with computers because some of the software, for instance, Magento is quite complicated and quite complex and you don't want to send someone that's new to computers to software like that. They'll probably explode. Some of the software you've got to install on your own server, so you steer clear of that. Some people are very technically minded and they doesn't matter. You just send them the best package and it doesn't matter. Other people, you've got to be mindful of their limitations and send them to the simplest software that you can find. Interesting. All right. So basically what I'm understanding is right, you look at the features you want, uh, how much time you can commit, uh, what products they're selling, computer experience, kind of your time horizon, the goals of the business, and then you go find a cart that matches what you want instead of asking, you know, what cart do I want, right? Absolutely. I mean, your features are the big one because if you go through your features, the ones that you absolutely have to have, you can pretty much rule out a whole bunch of carts right from the get-go just because you require a feature that they don't support. And that's the easiest way for me because I can go through the list then and, and throw out a couple of pages. Then we go back through the rest of their their needs and their wants and, and we can usually pare it down to one or two and it's a pretty simple discussion at that point as to which one's better. 
And in most cases, you send them to trial both of them quickly and see what they think. Okay. And so, uh, you know, let's move on a little bit about mobile. So uh, I guess mobile right now is just kind of an extension of the desktop experience. Like, do you see this going on in the future or do you see it growing into its own platform? Like, will there be a Shopify of mobile on its own or what are your thoughts on that? I think there needs to be. I still don't think e-commerce has got mobile right. It works and, and you can sit there on the couch with your iPhone and see something mentioned in a show and you can Google it and find somewhere to, to buy it and look at the specs and the price and whatnot. But it's still not the easiest, most natural experience. Uh, it's getting better. But I think to get a better conversion from people using their, their mobile phones on couches and on public transport, that their desk working, yeah, we need to do a bit more work. And do you think it's like... Uh interface thing or i guess it's like a consumer mentality or, or what do you think is the gap that's keeping it from going there i just think it's a usability thing people make these big stores and generally e-commerce it's a pretty complicated home page there's a lot going on on most store home page and product pages because they want to get a lot of information in there for your sake and for search engine's sake um and then we saw people you know couch surfing with with iPads and iPhones, Android devices. So we started just trying to shrink the page down and eventually everyone got to this stacking thing where we put, you know, pictures at the top and then stacked all the information down the down the page. It's not very usable. Because I guess when you buy online, you know, you want to see the store's phone number, you want to make sure it's a real person, you know, see you know, product photos, descriptions, and just fitting all of that information on a tiny screen is kind of the tricky part now, right? And how do you build that to have enough trust? To- it's not easy, especially when people are trying to do everything with this responsive design where they take the one-page layout and just hide and stack and shuffle things around. And it's not the highest converting experience, the burn rate's pretty quick. People will come, they will look at it, they will get a price, but not very many of them are hitting that buy now button and, and proceeding through to checkout. And that's that's the thing that has to happen with all e-commerce because without that proceed to checkout action, no one's getting paid and it's, it's not a long-lasting endeavor. I guess there's some hype around mobile commerce just because there's hype, right? And no one really sees this kind of bigger picture thing of the whole experience being really really cramped up, I guess, on mobile. There's a lot of hype because there's a lot of potential for it and it's exciting. And there's a lot of things you can do with a mobile phone that you can't do with just a desktop. It, it's fantastic. And the hype's necessary for the technology to advance. But just because there's hype doesn't mean there's actual measurable returns for retail. And a lot of them will look at their statistics after 12 months and see just how few mobile um, visitors they got and how few of them ended up buying something. And it's a bit disheartening at times, especially when they hear all these mobiles, you know, 50% of your market blow up. You know, they look at their stats and they think they're doing something wrong because they're only seeing 2% mobile traffic and of that 2%, 0.1% ever bought anything. And that's where hype gets carried away when it doesn't match people's expectation. Beginners, you know, Amazon would have a different experience, but that's Amazon and people really need to stop comparing themselves to stores like that. Yeah, it's when hype meets uh, reality, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's a gap with mobile right now. But the hype's important because the hype drives the innovation and the investment. But, um, yeah, average people and beginners and people that are just starting out need to be very realistic about the financial returns of chasing mobile. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, 
Uh, I guess this question is either like, you know, either phones get a little bit bigger and, you know, you have some platform that can just have put all this information or the consumer just trusts a certain store enough that they could just be comfortable buying. Right? Yeah, well, I think that's a lot of it. And a lot of people are moving towards really establishing brands now because people trust brands. And trust is very important. Without it online, you've got nothing. We went through that phase where people were able to fake it and you just can't do that anymore. And I think it's spectacular. Yeah, I had a conversation with a friend who runs a couple of stores. And he was kind of his view and my view was that Kind of when e-commerce first came out, you had Amazon, eBay, and then now you have anyone that can put up an online store. But putting a no-name store now that has no brand to it won't fly in like the next 10 years because I think you see it with Facebook search, like the whole graph search. Eventually, I think when everything becomes more social and community-based, like you really need kind of like an e-commerce community and then have a store on the back end of that to really be successful. Uh, do you kind of agree with that or do you have any thoughts? Oh, absolutely. People are going to have to really invest in their brand and work hard at it. Uh, the internet's got a very long memory. Have you seen uh, these guys on YouTube called the Epic Mealtime, the guys that cook with bacon? I love that. So because this came up to my mind because I think that's where the mall is going at because they started with a cooking show, right? And they had this huge community of fans. And then they started their online store where they started selling all this like lip balm, bacon. That's great. I love it. But people like that are wonderful case studies to make. Yeah, kind of like new age case studies where it's not just about you know making a generic product that goes online now. So. And there's a lot of brands out there that they started that way. They established who they are and then they monetized that. They didn't try and build something around just making money. They sort of really put the investment into, into who they are first. And it's paying off. They're doing tremendous things and they're just the funniest blokes. Yeah. Is that what a lot of stores you see that are successful? That like they really spend the first two two years maybe or so just really digging their heels deep in and then it kind of you get like the hockey stick growth afterwards. Kind of all the successful examples what I've seen. Is that kind of what you've observed too? Yeah, for the most part. There's been very few people that have sort of done it any other way. It really is just hard work at the end of the day. And it's good to see. It's setting a really good example to everybody else. You know, just being authentic is, is enough to get you started. If you genuinely want to do it and if you truly are doing the best thing you can by all your customers, you'll get that growth. You always will. You can't fake it forever and it's getting harder and harder to do that on the internet anyway. Yeah, it's like how, you know, 15 years ago you could just kind of go in with a I'll make money mentality instead of offering value, I guess. Whereas now, you know, people can sell it a mile away, I think. We've all seen it and we've all heard the stories and we all know the warning signs now because we've seen it on all the shows and, the, you know, it's not new to us anymore. Um, it's harder to, harder to just, you know, pretend. And it's so easy for people to double check now. You know, jump on Facebook and, and ask the question to the people that you follow. Ask on Twitter. Search on Facebook or Twitter and, and see what comes up. It's uh, it's great for consumers and it, it's great for businesses too, the businesses that, that do this thing properly. If you really are sincere and hardworking and you are doing the right thing, you will only ever benefit from this increased review and public scrutiny. Interesting. Okay. And so, so what are some of the best practices that kind of someone just opening a store can learn from like a large e-tailer that's pretty successful. I know you listed like four points. So kind of your first one was customer service and support. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's just absolutely critical. And I think a lot of people forget about it. You know, they think it's online so that it doesn't matter. But it really matters more than if it was offline. Um, You've got to look after people. If people send you a question, 
or an inquiry, you've got to answer it. You've got to chase it up. If people contact you after a sale wondering where their product is or if they could make a change, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with these people as if they're standing right in front of you. You've got to give them swift attention, especially on the internet. You can't leave it go 24 hours before you reply to to a customer with a question. That's just too long. People need feedback almost as quick as humanly possible. Places like Amazon were good for it, and that's why they grew, and that's why they stayed successful, because people felt very comfortable dealing with them, because if there was a problem, they could get an answer and they could get a resolution. Yeah, I I use the analogy where if you had like a bricks and mortar store, you know, and a customer came in, would you just run to the back and not come out and leave him just to hang out there on his own? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's true. Uh, you would never, ever do that in a, in a retail store on the main street. Um, and people seem to think it's acceptable to do it just because you're, uh, you're online, but it's not. And you have to be even more diligent online because people's minds run away with them and they get very, very nervous very quickly. Right, and so what are some of the tools you recommend for customer service? I know there's a couple of these SaaS platforms out there. And, you know, if we just stick within the Shopify big commerce realm, you know, what, what is a tool that you would recommend? You can complicate it and you can get software and there's some fabulous software out there that will help you manage customers and clients. But you don't need to spend money and you don't need to bring another tool into it if you don't want it. You can just use a phone. You can ring people. People will feel great if you rang them up and spoke to them after they emailed you. Or you could just email yeah, them. Because in this day and age, who who calls people like, you know, out of the blue, right? Nobody. And people wonder. And people wonder why they customers get nervous and start to panic a bit. And a lot of it's due because they don't know they're dealing with a real person and they don't know who they're dealing with. Um, if you've got a, a customer that, that's got an issue and particularly an upset one, if you rang them and spoke to them, they'd feel remarkably better. Um, yeah, I think that's something like my gener- my generation misses that because since we grew up with the internet, you kind of think the communication tools is different. Like you, like like phone is so archaic. When you have the old school people that are kind of from the older generation, you know they're used to doing business on the phone, and that's a gap I've seen. Uh, cause it's pretty prevalent, I think. Oh yeah, and people feel better just by putting your phone number on a website. Your customers feel great because it it means to them that they can ring you if there's a problem and if you answer that phone they'll feel massively better you know it's just a lot of this distance that's created by doing everything online and behind screens and this mistrust and if if you rang somebody up and spoke to them and said my name's Andrew you just bought something from our online store I see you've got a problem how can I help you know all that mistrust and that concern melts away so they know that you're a real person and you go into the effort to help them. And so there's something one of my old bosses used to say is that a uh, phone call is like 10 times better than email, but an in-person meeting is 10 times better than a phone call in terms of like building a connection and really just talking to someone too. So Yeah, and you know, it's true. It's always been true. But for whatever reason, these days, you know, we use tools and we use other services and, and we do it other ways. And there's no reason to forget just how effective picking up the phone can really be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. And so another best practice you listed uh, that entrepreneurs can learn from large e-tailers was following through with abandoned orders. So so how does this fit into the picture? Because I know there's software to do this too. Is this like another trick answer you're going to give me? Or? <laughs> no, no, no. There's just there is software out there that's worth investing in that will help you chase and track abandoned orders where people, you know, will add something to a cart, will go through all the way to a checkout page and then change their mind or realise that they probably can't afford it this week and 
you get the software, you go back to them a week later and ask them if they would like to finish. It's incredibly successful. Yeah. And I understand there's a timing element to this too in terms of when you send, uh, you know, why did you, did you have problems with the cart type inquiry? So what is, what, what's your experience? I mean, just log into any, any big store and, and try it. Find a store that you know that does it. Um, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. I know Amazon do it. Um, and start the process and go, go all the way through to the last screen before you actually hit pay now and close the browser and then just wait. And they, they come back to it and it's brilliant. And it really, it's the number of extra sales you get, are just wonderful. And especially if you've got, you know, big commerce has it built in with the abandoned cart saver tool, 3D cart have it as well. Uh, you can get it as plugins for a couple of the open source carts. It's all just set and forget. So you, you get the software that's got these features and you configure it and then that's it. And the software will go out and it will find the people that abandoned the sales and it will contact them a few times and ask them if they would like to come back. And it's great. You know, you get those sales back. There's a lot of reasons why they might have failed. It, it's just, it's simple. Yeah. Interesting. All right. And so uh, the third point you brought was polish. So I saw you put spell check here. So people, you see stores people with, where they like, they get their spelling wrong or yeah. in this day and age still? Oh, yeah. And I've got to admit, I'm the worst. I'm a programmer. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm used to typing in pseudocode all the time. So, you know, before you send out a, a mass email or update your homepage, take a few minutes to check the spelling. If you're sending an email, Send it at a time that you know it's going to be effective. Don't send it at 2 o'clock in the morning when all your customers are asleep and, you know, when they walk into work the next morning, they're going to just flick it and delete it so they can get onto the busy work emails. Um, you know, get nice artwork created. Don't just dig out some dodgy piece of clip art and resize it. And, you know, you just present yourself well. A lot of people don't do it. They, they just they think it's enough just to throw words on it on a screen and chuck in any old picture. You know, there needs to be this element of presentation. Yeah, you see it on some of these stores that just launched and they like, even like their picture sizes are different so the product grid doesn't line up and then it just doesn't, it just looks really messy, I think. Yeah, it is. And there's no reason for it. There's just no reason for it. It doesn't take, you know, a $200 an hour designer to tell you if something looks crappy. Yeah. I mean, you just, a lot of times I just go with my gut feeling. And then this is probably what a lot of people are thinking too when they visit a store. It's a gut feeling of, hey, can I trust this guy? And if he can't even fix his little design right, you know, how can I trust him with my credit card, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to, to spend a lot of money on it. You just pay attention to the details and, you know, ask yourself very seriously, is this good enough? You know, is this the best I can present? this page or this email or this order confirmation, you know, if you've got respect for your, your customers and respect for your product and your brand and yourself, then you will take the time to, to do these things. Very cool, very cool. And so just to wrap things up, you know, are there any other tools that you think, uh, the, you know, anyone starting out or that has a store should look into uh, besides the card abandonment, customer service ones that we talked about? Well, there's always the, the email marketing. And for the life of me, I can't work out why more people don't do it. I know spam's got a bad rap, but proper email marketing is massively successful. Generally, no. I mean, join communities like yours and Andrew's and spend your money on a community rather than a tool. You know, talk to real people doing the same thing. Don't 
Don't let the manufacturer of some piece of software tell you you need it. Talk to talk to real people making real sales and, and feeding their family. And, you know, these communities are just spectacular resources, especially ones, you know, where you've got to pay a small fee to get in because that weeds out so much junk. Yeah, because you, you never know who to trust who's giving free advice online too. Also. That's the thing. I'm, you know, even if someone's got to pay a dollar a month just to join, that's enough to keep the spammers away a lot of the time. But yeah, these communities, I think, for beginners, are, are far more useful spends than, than tools. Yeah, and, and even like when I go on like the Shopify or big commerce firms, they're just like dead, like no one's there. No one's there and the people that there are either complaining about something or selling something. Um, there's just this need that if you've got software as a service, you've got to have a forum. Yeah. People just put it up because you've just got it and there's no love for it, there's no commitment to it you know it's just it it feels like it's just part of this ecosystem of software as a service you must have a forum they're really not the greatest experiences but you know every so often they surprise you right so there's a question we missed kind of uh, the biggest mistakes you see newbies make and one of them was uh, saving money by not getting an ssl certificate so you know for someone just starting out who doesn't know what that is can you just go over that really quickly yeah it's it's 70 dollars it tells everyone your website's secure and you know it lights up the bar green and it makes customers feel nice and safe and secure and it really does work it you know it encrypts the traffic between your client and your site so that their personal information is a lot safer than if you didn't have a certificate you know there's technical reasons to get it but the real reason to get it is because it will make your customers feel better if you go with Shopify or Big Commerce, does this come built in to it? It doesn't come built in, but you can tick the box and pay a couple of dollars and get it. Shopify uses a, a central checkout page that's already got an SSL certificate, so it's not as much an issue there. Yeah, it, it's just like one of these little things that every developer and consultant will put on the end of a quote for a new store. So often, store owners will get to it and go, no, nah, we won't worry about that. And really, it's getting more and more important, especially, you know, with Google pushing SSL and, and secure connections across the web. Average people are starting to take notice of the fact that you don't have it. I mean, even when Google has the two-step login now, you know, for a site that doesn't have anything. At this point, it's more about making people feel, people visit your, your store feel as secure as possible. It's such a small cost really when you look at the whole investment in a new e-commerce store it's just not worth ignoring right and so another thing was uh setting realistic time frames for getting your merchant and banking accounts up people seem to think that because you can sign up for big commerce you know in 45 seconds that everything else will happen in that but it's it's not true and you know if you want to take credit cards off people you need to get a gateway and that takes time and to connect that gateway to your bank account so that you get the money in your bank account, that takes time. And you've got to deal with your bank and you've got to deal with, you know, payment gateways. There's a few things and a few steps you've got to go through the first time you set up. And a lot of people don't leave sufficient time for it or they opt to go with something like PayPal just because it's easier in the end, not because it's a better business decision. Yeah. I have the feeling there needs to be someone that does like, does like a case study where they actually open a store and they like 
find a market, they find a shopping cart, they get all the bank accounts set up, they get the incorporation, kind of like as a case study. That would be something cool to see, I think. <laughs> I think it would be very useful for people to see every step involved in it. And so uh, one last thing was uh, not questioning experts. So how does this fall into the picture? People believe everything you tell them. And it's not just me. I mean, people will ring a developer and ask, you know, ask for his opinion and he'll say, you know, you need a Joomla store with this plug-in and they don't ever ask why and they end up with software that usually suits the developer or the consultant more than software that suits them as a business owner. And they really need, people really should be questioning these developers and, and getting the best solution for them so that when that developer's gone and been paid and, and on to the next job, that they as an owner of a business have the best e-commerce platform for them. And they don't. And I've seen people come to me with just terrible setups that are just a nightmare. You go back through the whole process and, you know, it comes down to, oh, that's what the developer said we needed or that's the only thing the developer knew how to use and, and they just take it as gospel. If you just asked the question, you probably could have gone to another developer and got something that better suited you. Just because you're paying them doesn't mean you can't question them. Yeah. I mean, so the takeaway is to just get like, you know, a, maybe even the th- second third or fourth opinion on the same stuff just so you have a perspective of actually that's why these communities that we're talking about and that you're building are so important because people can join them and they can take this information from their developer and they can get into these forums and these communities and these discussions and say well this is what my bloke said and then other people say well god no we did that it was just a disaster and yada, 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 try this developer and he'll give you a quote for about the same price to use this software and it's much easier. They can talk to themselves. They can, you know, trial other bits of software that they haven't considered. I've seen cases where a businessman's let, you know, someone into their store in the back end just to have a look around and and see what it's all like. You know, you can ask developers to set you up demos of, of some of these shopping cart platforms and you can take trials. And you don't have to pay three different levels of consultant to get an answer you can pay one and join a community and do what you're meant to do in a community which is you know share and grow a lot of people ask me you know what cart should i go to and i tell them you know there's people doing really well on each cart so i mean it's it's not really not the game changing questions so you know what do you what would you say to someone that's asking you that too just in like a really quick one or two answer. If they had to choose between, say, Shopify or Big Commerce out of these two, I'd say go with Shopify. Um, if you're asking and you're that general, then you know doesn't matter. Yeah, someone that doesn't know all the details, just go with Shopify, basically, right? No. I mean, you know, Big Commerce has got more features and a better platform. If you've got no idea and you're just beginning and you can use a computer, go to Big Commerce. Just start and then you've got no idea about computers, go to Shopify. It's much easier. Yeah, exactly. All right, very cool. All right, and so Andrew, uh, where can our listeners find you if they want to get in contact with you or maybe uh, hire you to build a store for them? Uh, best bets, andrewbleakley.com. Okay, all right. And uh, that's B-L-E-A-K-L-E-Y, right? Absolutely. Just look for the guy and bloke in board shorts. <laughs> I think the guy with the nice caricature too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Andrew, uh, thank you so much. And uh, I think that's it. Thank you.
you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast. 